Welcome to Econoday Unplugged. Each week, our expert team explains the relationship between economic announcements and market reaction. For over 25 years, Econoday has provided value for the investment industry, amassing a comprehensive, machine-readable database of global market events. Econoday provides solutions for macroeconomics, sovereign debt, agricultural commodities and historical data, all delivered by API, XML and HTML. Connect the dots with Econoday. Subscribe to the Econoday Unplugged podcast and go to www.econoday.com to follow market events. Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 16th of July 2019. Mark Pender is across the pond stateside and just a couple of days after England won the Cricket World Cup in what many are already calling the greatest match of all time. I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in a decidedly celebratory London. So, at least potentially for financial markets, this week could be the calm before the storm. We're now just nine days away from a possible fresh round of monetary stimulus from the ECB, which could see its benchmark interest rate go negative for the first time ever. And of course, only a couple of weeks before an FOMC meeting that's widely expected to deliver the first cut in Fed rates in over a decade. Still, there's a lot going on. And amongst the other key um, Econoday calendar entries this week, season important consumer updates and earnings figures in Mark's part of the world and with inflation reports out of Europe. So, Mark, what's uh-huh. going on? What should we be looking at? Well, we're looking at trying to how, – how do you explain um, cutting rates when the economy is accelerating? Now, oh, I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you now, that. Now, yeah, they're going to – you know, are they looking at incoming data or are they not? Uh, well, can, we, can you, I mean, do this, what, what you've seen today before you actually say what it is, does that definitely rule out this talk of a 50 basis point cut? Yes. I mean, think – uh, it, it's going to rule out. Um, it's going to rule out reasoning, uh, clear reasoning, and, um, and and trying to explain uh, what why they are cutting rates. We've had uh, really a, a surge in uh, retail sales in June, and those components that are part of uh, the GDP calculation, the control group, which uh, rose 0.7 percent. Now. This re, uh, retail sales report for uh, June was no fluke. Uh, lower prices for gasoline held down gasoline stations um, substantially, and department stores continued their um, complete erosion. But elsewhere, it was a uh, a very very uh, a, a extraordinary report uh, that uh, in, led by uh, e-commerce and including. Uh, uh, another month, four or five months now, a very strong acceleration in restaurant sales. Now, why do people go to restaurants? Well, because they have money, they have jobs, um, and the bulk of GDP is uh, consumer spending. Um, so uh, that is a real, uh, you know, that that's a real important uh, positive for second quarter GDP that we this report for June. And we also had another positive report for their sensitive. What the Fed is looking at, which is manufacturing, that was the um, industrial production report this morning. The headline was weak, but that was because of utilities, where weather uh, plays a factor. But manufacturing production was very, very solid, uh, uh, at the very top end of expectations. And uh, again, isn't showing any the best showing of the year for manufacturing. This at a time when when Jerome Powell was you know talking about uh, you know a, a pivot lower for for the the sector, but. Um, Look, they're looking across the oceans for all these problems, and I don't know if they're finding it right now in the manufacturing sector, but certainly the domestic economy itself isn't 
um, showing any cracks at all. And now this, but you know, uh, this falls in line with the very first indication from June, if we remember, and that was a, a much stronger than expected, 224,000 rise in non-farm payroll growth. And last week, we had a 0.3% rise, unexpected rise in core CPI inflation. So um, as far as the, the data are not falling in line with uh, all these expectations and all their uh, signaling of, uh, of a rate uh, cut. So what's going to be interesting is, is the, you know, the convoluted uh, uh, text and argumentation that they're going to have to employ. Presumably, what he says here could be a major test for, well, his own, I mean, Powell's credibility, but to some extent, the credibility of the central bank as well. Because I mean, you're basically talking about a pretty decent set of numbers, which, um, ignoring everything else that might be going on at the moment, would have people thinking, well, there's no way the Fed's going to cut. And if the economy keeps going like this, given where unemployment, given how low unemployment is, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. it's just going to be a matter of time before rates go up. So mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you sell the idea of cutting? at a time when the data don't apparently justify it? Is well, it all about the forecast? Yeah, well, they're, they're going to have to stay it, in, a, in a neutral world without any expectations, uh, and certainly without um, this backdrop of uh, the administration uh, pushing for a rate cut, uh, and also other global banks. Uh, uh, that's also part of this um, overall, uh, uh, you know, picture that is uh, moving to rate cuts. But um, how do you sell that? That is the unknown right now. And they're going to test, like I say, their ability to uh, to make arguments. Uh, this is going to be, um, I think, uh, it's going to, they're going to have to discuss um, how they uh, structure their language, how they, uh, uh, you know, uh, present this to a reasoning uh, public. Um, and and beyond, you know what the the expectations have already set. So um, it's going to, I think, work against the Fed's credibility, not only on the on the sense of incoming data. Are they or are they not watching incoming data? And are they being um, ruled by uh, outside forces, which is not, you know, traditionally how monetary policy is supposed to go. So I guess on the assumption that they're kind of you know committed to a Fed rate cut to the extent that perhaps they're almost dead not to do it, is it then they come down in terms of looking for how the markets are going to react to what they do with any kind of forward guidance, what they do with a bias? You know, do they if they come out and cut uh-huh. and kind of intimate we still got an easing bias, chances are we're going to cut again. Could that be taken more negatively perhaps in some way than simply saying, right, we cut interest rates, wrong uh-huh. neutral now and see how it works out? Well, that's an interesting point. So, yeah, they'll get the cut out of the ray, the, uh, out of the way, and then uh, and then clean uh, the slate. But you know, there's more than than just um, this issue of immediate rate cut. It's also the longer term uh, a look at what Fed policy has been doing. It's been rising for several years now. Uh, it peaked in just recently as December. Um, and then uh, they, you know, uh, threw things in neutral because of trade tensions and and slowing global trade. And uh, and then we were okay for a couple of months uh, in the early spring. And then all of a sudden we're uh, bad again, and the economy is not in a good place. Even though uh, uh, Jerome Powell uh, last week uh, repeated brought the line out from earlier in the year that we are back in a good place. So they're not in a good place. The Federal Reserve is not in a good place, and ex- and how they're going to explain their policy. Okay, it's going to be an interesting one next week. Um, and I guess st- sticking with the central bank in terms well, of well, see- Jeremy, may yeah. I ask now? You, so you yeah, uh, sure. mentioned, I, have you been? Uh, uh, um, you mentioned the ECB may be cutting rates. Is that is that a little it's, bit of a, a new it's, bias? 
it's certainly not definite yet, I've got to say, and I think you know, the markets will be making up their minds um, over the course of the next few days, and in particular what Mario Draghi has to say. And I should mention that he'll be participating in the G7 meeting in France, which is due tomorrow, and he's expecting to be speaking then. Now, from everything he's said really since, and including last ECB meeting, he's uh, essentially told markets that you know, the ECB will be loosening policy in some shape or form. So then it really comes down to what analysts think he may do in the sense that you know, has he got much room left on quantitative easing? Could he actually come out and uh, cut interest rates again? And I think at this stage, the jury's kind of out. Um, it'll firm up before we get into next week and, and the Thursday meeting itself. But I think at this stage, you know, the analysts are still trying to work out exactly what they might do. But I don't think they'd just do an interest rate cut. And if they do reduce rates and put them into negative territory, just to remind folks that their refi rate at the moment is still 0.0%. It's only been like a 10 basis point cut or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I still think the onus would be on additional quantitative easing of some shape or form. But in contrast to the Fed, where are there immediate expectations for an ECB uh, accommodation? Definitely. I think now it's got to the stage. Well, I've, let's back up. I said there are certainly ex very solid expectations that it's just a matter of time before the ECB loosens policy. The question mark is the timing in the sense that typically when they, they do anything, it's attached to their updated economic forecasts and they come out every quarter and we won't be due another set of those until we get to September meeting. So in other words, we've got one meeting next week and then nothing until September. So the bet is is strong that we'll either see something happening next week at the ECB meeting or they'll delay it and simply do what they normally do and do whatever they're going to do once we get to the September meeting. So but, will they you know, do it in the language? Can they cut rates? You know, well, I think if, if, if they've kind of decided they can do it in September, then the, the tone of it, as you say, the statement is going to be such that they're going to leave markets fully discounting some kind of ease before we, before we actually get into September. And indeed, looking at the shape of the curve, I mean, that's increasing recently built in now anyway. If you think for a long time that you know, the ECB, in fact, still effective, the ECB's bias is, you know, longer term bias is, is upwards in, the, in on interest rates in the sense that all they've done of late is just to extend the period during which they're going to keep their referee rate at zero before interest rates move up. Well, markets have been dismissing that theory for a long time now and been working on the assumption it's just a case of, you know, instead of keeping interest rates zero, they actually start going down. Um, so what Mario Draghi has to say will certainly be important. I mean, in terms and in contrast to what you're getting your side, the latest figures, at least from the output side, a bit. Well, I should say the latest figures from the retail side have been poor, with retail sales down again in May. But we did see a stronger than expected bounce in the May industrial production. Uh, that was reported last week up 0.9% on the month. However given how weak the rest of the quarter was, it looks as if second quarter produ industrial production at best is only going to manage a very small rise. And within that 0.9% monthly figure I mentioned for May, and France was up over 2%. Um, which is a suspiciously strong number. And I expect well, some of that will be given back when we get into June. At the same time, we've had the Bundesbank issuing a warning about slowing services activity. So at this stage, it still looks as if uh, second quarter GDP out of, a, out of a Eurozone on a quarter on quarter basis is going to be what 0.2, perhaps 0.3%. So in other words, slower than it was in the first quarter and certainly still not fast enough to, you know, to push underlying inflation up to anywhere near this this near two percent target the ecb operates with and what has the, the pattern been on on trade for europe 
On trade on the whole, well, one good thing, I suppose, as far as the ECB or at least uh, the Eurozone is concerned, is that the trade figures have been holding up pretty well. Um, we had the uh, the merchandise trade data for May out earlier on today. They showed another fairly comfortable 20.2 billion season adjusted euro um, surplus for that particular month. That was up from just shy of 16 billion previously. And to be honest, you, if you were someone who looks at the trade numbers with a view to calling the currency markets, then the euro should have no problem at all because it does have a relatively comfortable trade surplus. But I think you know, one of the problems of these trade figures, particularly out of Europe, and I must say the UK is notorious in this, is that not a lot of weight is attached to them because there's real problems in measurement. And so markets don't have that much faith in them. And as and when this dreaded Brexit finally comes about, they may well have even less because no one's had a clue what's going to be going on there. So now, um, are you talking about month, uh, monthly trade data uh, coming out of uh, the Eurozone? I am. So twenty is twenty point two billion uh, euros for, and, for the and, surplus for the month of May. And there's a lot of volatility in the numbers. It's not too bad. I'm um, obviously with trade numbers. We're simply well the trade balance, which is talking about the residual of a you know, a socking rate inflow and a socking rate outflow. So it will tend to move about quite a lot. Um, but on the whole, actually, they've been relatively stable at around about you know, 17, 18 billion, give or take a few billion for quite a long while now. So despite all the worries about global t- trade issues and tensions and so off, on the tariff firm side of things have actually held up relatively well. Um, however, part of that, you've got to say, has been down to the relative weakness of imports. So if you look at today's figures, um, okay, exports actually had a good month. They're up 1.4 percent, but you on the month. But you also had imports down 1 percent, uh, and they fell in the previous month as well. So again, that fits in with this idea that domestic demand across the eurozone as a whole is in a pretty soft state, and hence, yeah, you know, the justification for some mm-hmm. kind of easing an ECB policy. Um, okay, well, I should also mention the UK, since um, the Bank of England is going to be scratching its head when it gets to its next meeting at the beginning of August. Obviously, everything here is still surrounding Brexit, um, but but the market view has been very much that, you know, assuming we don't get a disastrous Brexit, or even if we do, we'll probably see some kind of cut in interest rates at some point. However, you know, key to the Bank of England, indeed, if you talked about on many occasions in the past, is what's going on with wages or, or average earnings is typically measured over here. And we had a surprise jumps in the earnings figures in today's labour market report. This is for the three months to May. So looking at regular earnings, which strips out any bonus payments, they're up on an annual basis at 3.6%. Uh, that was up a couple of ticks from the, the previous period and, more important, an 11-year high. Now, for those MPC hawks who don't like signs of higher wages because it equals labour market pressures and ultimately higher inflation, that's going to get them very agitated. So it's going to be the case or potentially a you know, worst case for the Bank of England where most of the real side data are suggesting that probably UK second quarter GDP could be flat. It could easily be a small negative in there. But if we got you know, the labour market it's still tight enough to push wages up, then there are going to be some people on the MPC who are going to want to cut and some people on the MPC who want to push interest rates up. So it could make for quite a volatile time for UK money market rates, you know, almost irrespective of what's happening to, um, to Brexit. So what, what, what's your expectation? No uh, action? I think at this stage, I mean, the bank isn't going to do anything until it knows what happens What happens to Brexit. Um, the Bank of England's official viewpoint is that they still assume in their central case forecast that there will be a smooth Brexit. 
although they've acknowledged that the risk of a you know, a no deal Brexit has, has increased over the course of the last couple of months or so. But assuming a no deal Brexit, the official line is that interest rates are more likely to go up than down, but they'll only go up very slowly. Well, um, isn't the with um, the Tories now, uh, doesn't it look like um, it's a sure bet that Something uh, is going to break on October 31st. Either there will, there will be a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit, but something will happen. Something's going to happen. You're right. Um, just to remind people, October 31st is the current Brexit deadline. And under current UK legislation, um, whether there's a deal or not, that's going to be the end of a UK's membership of the European Union, because that's what's written down the statute books. So if we don't come out of the EU on the 31st of October, something somewhere has got to change. But it's still the case that whoever takes over Downing Street next week, I suppose it's just worth reminding people that Mrs May, she is due to tend to her resignation on when next Wednesday. Next Tuesday, we should know who the new British Prime Minister is going to be, either Boris Johnson or, or Jeremy Hunt. And they will take over number 10 Downing Street on Wednesday after Mrs May steps aside. Now, the problem is that to all intents and purposes, ever since Mrs May announced that she would be standing down, what was that, a couple of months or so ago, the only thing that's really changed in the whole process is that there'll be less than three months to go now before we're due to leave, rather than less than sort of you know, four and a half to five months ago when she now she's t- standing down. The whole politics has not changed at all. You've got two, can- two candidates are both intimating that, well, A, they don't want a no-deal Brexit, but if they have to have a no-deal Brexit, they will do. Parliament is still maintaining that there's no way we're going to come out to EU without some kind of a deal. So at this stage, it really is what the heck's going to happen, we don't know. As you said, something's got to give. Well, it may be the case that what does give again is the blooming timetable. So <laughs> this Brexit can gets kicked further down the road yet again, which is what all sides are saying they don't want. Yeah. It is interesting. I think from looking at the way the pound's been trading today, you know, typically speaking, when you get strong wage growth in the UK or indeed in you know, most countries, uh-huh. and you've got a central bank concentrating on inflation, you know, high wages, inflation risk, the currency tends to appreciate on the grounds that interest rates are less likely to go down or who knows, perhaps even go up. As far as the pound's concerned today, it's basically ignored it. And it was a strong set of wages figures, which really surprised people. And it didn't go up. It's depreciated against the euro, you know, a sterling euro cross, as we talked about before, is the litmus test of how the markets see Brexit. It's depreciating. It's been depreciating for a while now. And it really is a reflection that it's still, as far as the pound's concerned, all about what's going up to Brexit. Well, are the Tories committed to an October 31st break of some kind? And if without that, um, the Tories will stand down? How does uh, that well, work? of course, the worry for them is that well let's oh dear, end up being sort of you know political diatribe here but you know, as, as we as we talked about before the the politics of this for brexit it's not just split between party lines labor the principal opposition party and the tories it's split right across parliament so you know within the tory party you have some people who want to remain part of the eu and some who don't exactly the same applies to the labor party and indeed the other the other opposition parties so it really could come down at the end of the day to you know what Parliament can do. And there's talk about you know, various rumours about Parliament might be suspended so that the new Prime Minister could force through a, a no-deal Brexit, because otherwise Parliament would veto it. But then there's a question mark as to, well, how democratic is that? Could it actually be done? And so on. So yeah, the danger is for the Tory party as a whole is if you look at you know, the, the 
the popularity of the party, well, all parties at the moment, are so low that no one knows who would win. The, unpop- so the, the unpopularity. The unpopularity. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, if you're a Tory MP <laughs> at the moment, the good news is you've got a job. If you have an election <laughs> next week, you might not have, you have a day after. So it's it really is. It's a fascinating situation. And anyone who says they know what's going to happen, I mean, really is telling porky pies. Um, OK, what else do we have anything else? Oh, I should mention it's quickly sticking on the inflation front. Um, we do have it out of Japan on Friday, late Friday. We'll get the June CPI there. And that's, again, expected to just underline the weakness of core prices in Japan. What does that mean? Well, one, obviously, in itself, it pushes more pressure on the BOJ to come out and do something with their policy as well. Their bond yields are already well below what they're targeting. And, of course, it makes it that much more important what the ECB and the Federal Reserve do. Because the Fed comes out and cuts and makes aggressive noises about cutting further. The dollar could weaken. And, and that's obviously counterpart to that is that the yen's going to appreciate. And that's the last thing Japan needs when it's got inflation, what, round about 0.6% or so on the core rate. So there's going to be an awful lot of flak flying around depending upon what these central banks do or indeed might not do over the course of the next several weeks. Right. Mr. Pender, anything else to lob into the pot apart no, from congratulating I think... the mighty England cricket team? Yes. Well, congratulations. Now, but I, I, do I, have to I, respond, I do have to respond by saying I should have congratulated uh, your ladies football team, of course, for uh, their oh, magnificent yes. performance not so long ago. Was it a week or so ago now? That's wasn't right. That? Yes, that's right. Well, it was a one two for uh, the US and, and UK. Definitely. Things are looking up. Things are looking uh-huh, up. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, then. Um, right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up there. Um, so, as we mentioned, next week promises to be particularly interesting. And we'll add to the fun by having our Asian guru, Brian Jackson, join us to discuss what's going on in his part of the world as well. So, until then, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks very much for listening. Bye for now. Economiday has provided value for the investment industry for over 25 years, amassing a comprehensive, machine-readable database of global market events. Our exceptional data set consists of consensus, actual reported and revised numbers of economic events. Algorithmic trading firms, global banks, asset managers, hedge funds and AI technology firms are leveraging Econoday's unique historical data set to fuel their propriety trading models and support their research and compliance teams. Go to www.econoday.com and follow at Econoday on Twitter to learn more.